Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. It's hangovers all round in the Premier League as football matches the mood of a nation legally allowed to visit pubs again. Liverpool looked hungover in defeat to Manchester City in the week. Then Manchester City suffered a hangover of their own against Southampton. We'll discuss the top two and the teams below them in some depth. It's at the bottom of the table where there's most to be settled. Who's doomed and how bad would relegation be for the side to end up in the bottom three? Plus, the excitement of Mason Greenwood, the wonder of Jamie Vardy and the uncertain future of Lionel Messi. Let's take you now into our series of remote audio recording facilities where I'm joined by my best friend, Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? (laughs) I was going to honestly tease you about it again if you didn't say what, it. What an upgrade from nothing to best friend in the space of a I week. I know. Gee, it really worked with all these cookies that I've sent you then. <laughs> yeah, bribery will get you everywhere. Joining us again, it's Matt Law. What's going on, Matt? All good, thanks. What were you doing last week, Matt? Uh, it was my son's birthday. It was my little lad's five, fifth, fifth birthday, and I wasn't breaking away from it to speak to the likes of you. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's entirely fair. The, the, I saw his Aston Villa cake on social media. Was that more for him or more for you? Oh, yeah. definitely for me. A Lego Jack Grealish on the top of it and a big Villa cake. Yeah, all for me, that, for sure. He got his own back, though, because this time last week I was spending hours building a Hot Wheels city garage. Never, never do that if you ever have to have a chance. <laughs> Again, that sounds like something that would be quite a lot of fun. Uh, possibly more for the grown-up than the kid. How about you, JJ? Have you been playing with any exciting toys in the last seven days? Uh, just Call of Duty. Just getting right. quite good at it. Yeah. Right. I ordered a sunbed that I put together and it's just been raining ever since. So now I feel like I've jinxed myself. Okay, there's a lot of questions there. <laughs> How have you got space in London for a sunbed? Oh, I have like a little porch, like a balcony <laughs> that fits wow. about one, the space of like one or more like a balcony where the sun shines on (laughs) yes that's it i have a balcony where the sun shines and so i thought oh i'll get something to lie down on you know oh i thought you meant a bed like a sunbed like i thought like a tanning salon yeah like where you rent videos and also get a tan no like a proper bed where you lie down and tan like outside in the sun okay okay on that subject has anyone seen the color of jose Mourinho lately no. Yes, why is he so dark? I, I, did a, I did a Zoom with him on Saturday from Northampton Services on my way to Leicester. And the glamour. I almost, I almost <laughs> made my one, my one question that you're allowed on these Zoom press conferences. I almost asked him about his tan because <laughs> it is a very impressive tan. But he's what got a garden saying? in his house, no? He's obviously got multiple sunbeds. Of the of the sort of indoor and outdoor variety, I would speculate. He's renting so many videos. <laughs> there's a, you know, there's a road off, like, the Telegraph building. You know Elizabeth Street? Yeah. I see him on average about every, every time I go, almost. Well, that's how data protection law's broken. Let's move <laughs> on to talking about football. Uh, Liverpool 
they have bounced back a little bit from a drubbing at Manchester City after they won the title. Presumably, Liverpool were massively hungover. Um, but let's talk a little bit about their victory, uh, first of all, at home to Aston Villa. I was quite impressed by this in a way, JJ, um, because it must be tough to motivate a team that's already won the league. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that they've dropped a little bit because they've already won what they came to achieve, so what is there left for them? But I, I Did mean, it look like that in the City game to you? Uh, no, I don't think so. I th- maybe a tiny bit of... Um, there's a tiny bit of intensity. Graham Sooner said said as much that if you like he's been in that same situation where you may, do maybe drop maybe one or two three percent and that's enough to make a difference. But the City game I thought could have swung either way um, for ages. It's just a weird result because although City looked to have battered them, Liverpool could easily have put two or three past them early on. It was a weird game. Villa I thought they, you knew that they were going to um, uh, kind of lock it down and, and, and frustrate them for a long time. But I mean. They got through. Like Villa did well, but they still lost. And uh, Liverpool switched some players up. And I think they're not the same team. I've seen this for a while. Not the same team when Henderson doesn't play. It makes everything drop a percentage as well. So that might be another part of it. Um, and this midfield I had with uh, Keita and Oxley Chamberlain is very box to box, and you know, they carry the ball an awful lot. And what you probably need is quick, sharp passing to stretch the defence and try and put like line breaking passes through, which is something that those two players don't do all the time. What did you make of Villa, Matt? They did look good, uh, certainly, while they weren't conceding goals, but as JJ said, they ultimately lost the game. Are they giving you enough to have some hope of survival, or are you resigned to their fate now? Um, I think they will go down, but they're giving me enough to think it will... There's a combination of them giving it enough and all of the teams down there, well, certainly the bottom four being so bad that I think it probably will go to the wire. (laughs) <laughs> Although there's a big there's a big week coming up, I don't I just don't see Bournemouth, Villa, or Watford um, picking up enough points to actually pull away, so that it doesn't go to the wire. Um, I even think you know a few draws might be enough for for one of them. Um, so yeah, there, there was battling qualities in there, and I do actually think that Dean Smith has shown that in the lockdown he's kind of. It feels a bit less naive with Villa now. They've not won a game since since lockdown, and yet I actually think he's shown he's improved as a manager because they're they're putting in performances against some of the, the better teams, whereby they're managing to stay in games, which before the lockdown they were just getting blitzed in a lot of these games and conceding ridiculous, ridiculous early goals that saw them never never be in the game. So I think he's learned a bit, but they've got so little up front that I just don't see where any goals are coming from. But do you think that one of the reasons why it looks like they're doing a little bit better is because some other teams have dropped off? I don't know. I don't know, really. I mean, Chelsea haven't dropped off, have they? Chelsea have won sort of four of their five games or or whatever it is. And they played Wolves, who up until the Arsenal game, everyone was saying Wolves were the informed team and they lost 1-0 to Wolves. I, I... I don't know. I mean, everyone's dropped off a bit, but I, I think that I, I genuinely think they're playing in a less naive manner. I think they're a lot more solid, they're a lot more compact, especially at the bank. I agree with yeah. I and I that. and you know, Douglas Louise has been absolutely superb since the restart. Completely different to how he was before the restart. So I think they've learned a bit, but I think that there's so little going forwards that they're not going to be able to score the goals to to get them get themselves out of it. That is their big problem. Other thing is that Smith, I think we talked about this before, but Smith keeps changing the system. He keeps switching it around to try and find what the best team is. And part of the the thing he has to figure out is how to get more out of Jack Grealish because all he is is just a lightning rod for being kicked and winning fouls, which are not then really making use of. And I, I went through a bunch of statistics a while ago and uh, Grealish's like, creativity was much higher when you had John McGinn alongside him. It must be that he then offers something else too. But having like having McGinn um, in midfield alongside Louise with Grealish ahead of them seems to really work quite well. It means they can put Trezeguet in. And I think just having their better players on the pitch is always going to make them play a bit better. But they've struggled just to try and find it. And especially like having Pepe Reina back is a big thing. Yeah. It means they've got a bit of solidity there and a bit of a... Like, even that one player can make a huge difference to the team. Like you see, imagine Liverpool without Alisson all season. You know, it makes a difference. And just having Pepe Reina there does make them seem a bit more like they know what's going on. And uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Nyland, it was in place before, always a little cross away from a mistake. And you can see that that doesn't really make for a settled defence. 
Honestly, if when you saw him bending down, Pepe Reina, didn't you think it was Pep Guardiola? Like, just briefly or not? I felt like the resemblance is uncanny, but anyway. <laughs> we'll get a little bit more into some of the teams struggling at the bottom quite soon, but let's just stick with Liverpool for now, Mina. Um, we saw a bit from Klopp on uh, last week when they lost to City of, of how bad a loser he is. We haven't seen much of it this season. Do you like that about him? Listen, it depends on what it is that he's saying. I didn't like it when he said it about, like, I wish Atletico Madrid would play proper football. That really bothered me. Um, but in general, I feel like his distaste for losing and how angry he gets and sulky and, and then starts throwing these jibes just shows you sort of the ego that he has. And you can't really be a winner without an ego. Like, if you listen to Ronaldo speaking or... Michael Jordan, which I always refer back to that documentary. You know, it's these guys that really believe in themselves and he goes crazy and he's so defensive of his team, so defensive of their attitude, the efforts that they put in there. And I think it's the reason that they are where they are because he demands so much um, and always will defend them to the public. So I, I feel like with this case, I'm going to side with Roy Keane and believe like that is the greatest, like one of the his better qualities. Because I'll be honest with you, like I, re it really bothers me to have someone like Buffon on my team who's always smiling with the opponent and always looks like he's just really happy. Um, of course, the flip side is when he went crazy at the referee and called him a man with a bin for a, for a heart, and you're like, oh, what happened there? You know, you went really out there once. But I, I like my players to be people who defend the team and who go crazy if anyone insults them, and I just feel like that's the way that you get out wins. All the best managers have been like that, haven't they? Ferguson, awful loser. Pep Guardiola, awful loser. Antonio Conte, awful loser. Anyone I can think of who's a good manager, being absolutely appalling man when they lose a game. You know, you're scared. Jose Mourinho, you're scared they're going to rip your head off or, or make you look absolutely stupid by being completely, completely unnecessarily rude. But it seems to be um, a trait of these guys, and it's understandable. Doesn't get that, that much from Pep Guardiola, do you? I mean, they've just lost yeah, uh, Southampton, um, and and uh, yeah, but there's nothing to play for for them. Yeah, exactly, Pep, yeah. Pep, when mm. there's stuff to play for, Pep can be extremely rude and condescending, but there's nothing to play for now. It's gone. Klopp also knows exactly what the questions were coming were going to be, and they're really softball. I don't, I don't blame um, uh, Jeff Shrees for it at all, and obviously it's quite intimidating, <laughs> especially on live TV when you've got someone so angry kind of trying to call you out. But if the questions aren't taken anywhere and there's just going to be this, like Klopp assumed he's trying to create a narrative from it. And uh, all he's doing is asking, does it mean anything? Klopp's like, no, it doesn't. We've already won. I don't think there was a drop off. And it's in the repeated question. You can see why he gets kind of angry with it. But can I just say for coaches who have remained in their post for a long, I don't know, like Alex Ferguson can be actually quite rude. How is Arsene Wenger? Like, because, you know, like when you think Carlo Ancelotti is actually quite happy, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really end up being quite rude. We had Max Allegri was always really, you know, contemplating where it went wrong rather than somebody who just lost the plot. Sometimes I just feel like it depends on also what kind of coach you are, whether you're there for the long haul sometimes. Wenger, Wenger was a bit different. Wenger, Wenger was more polite. He wouldn't be rude and condescending, but what he would do was extremely short, clearly irritated answers. He'd often start his answer with the word look, as if to say, you don't <laughs> know what you're talking about. <laughs> and ironically, he'd never, when, when they'd lost and he was annoyed, he wouldn't look you in the eye either. He'd look to another part of the room or look to the side. He was just a bad loser. It was just a different way of expressing mm, it. Yeah. What have you made of City uh, recently, JJ? Obviously, very, very impressive against Liverpool, but lost their last three away games in the Premier League now. Clearly, the season's fizzling out a little bit, but they, they look to me a little bit... Um, Southampton obviously defended very well and played well against them, but City didn't come massively close to scoring, I didn't think. What did you make of it? Uh, well, what is it they had? There's a stat, an Opta, they had... Um, let me just get that stat. Really? Was a stat I like it was they a, had so many chances. Uh, yeah, the keeper had a blinder, didn't he? I, I, but, you know, it's the same story with City, isn't it? A million passes, 99% possession, but couldn't get it done. Mm. It's, it's been a weird season for them. Yeah, but this uh, this is something I'm used to in my football manager saves. You see, where you have all the uh, you have all the possession. You get like 26 shots in the game is their highest since uh, March 2016. And uh, so, the, I mean, with Aguero, you think they might find a way through. Sometimes they just don't find a way through these games. That's one thing they've missed is that kind of killer cutting edge. They can get, they can create like these lovely chances, but then they're just missing that bit of 
uh, power. I think they're missing a bit of um, anger somewhere in the team. And you think if you imagine yeah. they had a player like uh, he's not, they're not going to get him nor would they go for him, but like Robert Lewandowski up front, I think they would have scored in that game. That kind of that kind of difference. But Jesus is not really cutting it. Just a bit of versatility. Sometimes I just feel like they have the same, but a lot of it. Yeah, so there isn't that alternative. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the thing is, like, I, I think this, like, maybe he needs to get some taller, stronger, big, bigger players in. And they think, well, what? That doesn't make sense. He's won like everything. He's about to. He could win like fifteen cups this year or something like that. So it obviously really works. And there's you don't need to have. I don't think you need to have like a plan B or anything like this. Like you have your the way you set up. You have your system. You make sure it works. Get the right players in. You make sure they're all motivated and they play. Sometimes maybe if the players just don't have that. Like I was, I was thinking about this in, in a kind of weird way, in a, another video game kind of way. Like what you need to kind of win these big trophies and to really push is to have a few players who'd be rated like if you're playing FIFA or Pro Evo or something like a 90 or above. Like De Bruyne is definitely one of those players, like a star man you'd want your dream team. And you look at Liverpool, you'd have Allison, Van Dijk, Alexander Arnold, probably Fabinho. Then you definitely have Salah and Mane. But if, I think you'd rate those players higher if you're doing it out of a hundred. So like Manny would be like a ninety four or something, but Mares would be like an eighty five. Like he produces moments of magic, but he's just not that same. There's some, something that's that separates him David from Silva? those players. Uh, I think probably yes, but he's um, Fernandinho. Silva would be a ninety a couple of years ago, three years ago. He's not now. You've got De Bruyne is Foden will be uh, maybe is on the cusp of it. Fernandinho is just a little bit older than you need him to be. It's just a bit of a rebuild they have to do there. And uh, you can see that they've got a bit of work, but a big, they need some big star signings. Like a couple of them would make that a different team. They don't have to change everything. Just a couple. I of do big think star we ones. need to credit McCarthy as well. I thought that he was really good. Yeah, he was. Won. Yeah, I always think with goalkeepers though, when he has those like blinding uh, games, a lot of the shots were going straight at him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I expect him to make those. It's still impressive that he made them, but he did. I was more impressed with how Stevens was reading the play, like the way he was anticipating every ball going in and it was in the way of them. I'd say that was more impressive than what McCarthy was doing. Not that you should be comparing them. But. The, the thing I hope happens is that this sort of form continues for Liverpool and Man City. They both look brilliant at times, but they're both a little bit patchy at the moment, which I think would make for a brilliant title race next year. Certainly more exciting than when they're just winning all the time. Let's move to the bottom of the table now. Uh, Manchester United beat Bournemouth 5-2 at Old Trafford. Eddie Howe looking pretty bereft in his post-match press conferences. What's going wrong for him, Matt Law? Um... <sighs> Sort of everything at the moment, really. I, I'm a bit surprised by them because I thought um, I'd heard, I know a few people around Bournemouth and I'd heard that they, they were quite confident that the lockdown was going to be good for them because they'd got some injuries back. Um, it had given them a bit of a chance of reflection to get out the sort of terrible run they'd been in. So I actually thought they'd be okay when they came back and they'd been awful. I mean, the, the Man U result, isn't one for them to get upset by. And I actually thought there was some, you know, they scored two goals, they looked bright, okay, they were bad at the back again. Um, but I, I didn't think there was too much to get overly distraught about. That Newcastle result before that, yeah. I mean, was a horrendous result, um, absolutely horrendous result. And I, I looked at the Newcastle one, not so much the United one, and wondered whether the, the players have still got belief in what Eddie Howe's trying to do. I wondered whether they've got belief in what each other are trying to do. It feels like it's gone stale for Eddie Howe. I mean, it, it, it does look like an example of a manager now staying at a club too long and that whatever message he's trying to get across isn't really filtering through. And in a, in a, in a bigger scale, their big signings, bar a couple over the last two, kind of two or three years, just haven't worked for them. That's the big reason um, Solanke, for me, as well. Jordan, that, I, the yeah. re recruitment's just not worked out. There have been, ex been some exceptions to that, obviously Nathan Aki and, and a couple of others, but I think generally the, the, the recruitment, they've, the, the squad has, has steadily got worse and that group of players who came up with Eddie Howe from League One um, all those years ago who were so well drilled into what he does and such believers of him are starting to go over the other side of a hill now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. They needed to have improved with those like big signings, but they they spent money on players like Jordan Ibe and players who are basically the same thing they already had. They had like, I agree with Matt. It's not even maybe they haven't got worse. They just haven't improved. They're basically the same team, whereas everyone else has got got better. And they don't really have time for potential youngsters to come through now. They need a couple of big hitters, but the recruitment hasn't been good enough, which looks badly on 
Eddie Howe, even though he's obviously a very good coach, but it's all interlinked as a manager. I think what the, what they did with the recruitment is look on look to players that had similar talents, but I think the psychological effect of the players that he had with him that went up, like you know what it what it meant to them, how much they fought for that style of play or for Eddie Howe or for Bournemouth, isn't something that can be translated to a new signing. Sometimes it depends on your team. Obviously, I think that's huge, but I also feel like it's just it's must be such a horrible situation to play for them right now or to coach them because you know everything's depending now on the rest of the games where you don't have home advantage which was something important and I mean frankly they lost it you know sort of before even January they had gone 22 games where they conceded 35 goals and scored only 20 it's the fact that this team was built to play football but it's not doing that it's not playing football and now it's being asked to sort of save itself against relegation which is something that it wasn't built for so I think there's just it's sort of going a little bit nuts for them because they didn't manage to do what they needed to do in the beginning of the season, which is at least just score a couple of goals. I mean, there were so many games where they, they couldn't even get a goal, not against Watford, not against Norwich City, not against Burnley. It was a bad 2019, and I feel like now they're just put in this position that's so stressful. I don't know how they're going to get out of it. When you look at it, they've spent they've spent big money as well. I mean, since, since August 2018, um, they've spent £90 million. Um, they only get crowds of about. They can only get crowds of sort of fifteen million. And when you look at them, David Brooks has been a good signing, but then you got Diego Rico, ten million; Jefferson Lerma, twenty-five million; Solanke, seventeen million; Lloyd Kelly, who only made his debut the other day, thirteen million. And there's a lot of dross there. And then the, the kind of you've had Defoe's on big wages there and done nothing. But they backed, um, they backed Eddie Howe. They backed themselves getting the best out of these talents. So they wanted to pour their money into getting better. It was obviously a payoff that didn't, you know, work. I think they're in trouble if they go down as well. I think they're in real trouble. I could see them slipping down and, and not coming back for a very long time and even slipping down again because they, they've got a budget they just can't sustain and they've got a ground that can't take many people. Um, the new stadium that they were planning has gone on to hold. I really foresee big problems for Bournemouth if they go down. Yeah, uh, they'll be looking at what's going on at Wigan with some concern, I'd imagine, their fans. What about Nigel Pearson and Watford, JJ? Uh, started so well for him. Why hasn't it worked out since the restart? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> the players, um, it's the same team coming out, but uh, for whatever reason, they're just not quite... It's just not quite working for them. Like I think playing the team against Southampton, who set up in a similar way, um, but just with more energy coming at them. You see Troy Deeney is getting really frustrated with what's going on around him. I'd, it's not. Do you think it's, it's a psychological a, thing, like you know, like maybe when someone asks you to pressure and harry and and be aggressive, it can be hard to do when you've just come out of a two month holiday. Whereas you can build towards it. So say like in eight weeks they could be really good at it, but by then it's all over. Do you know what I mean? Well, you can you can prepare them all you want in training ground and get them revved up, and they can all they can come into the game motivated and stuff. But it just takes one slight like positional error, and suddenly like Giroud scores, and then you're one 0 down, and you can't play in the same way because you're trying to play to to hit them on the counter. But then suddenly they can do that to you. So you got to adjust the way that your system works, and then it doesn't play into what you're you've you've trained in. All these things you can do, you just don't have control over everything as a manager. And then if players go one 0 down at Chelsea, like oh here we go. And then just another tiny little one error is enough it takes for them to score a second. I thought also they grew a lot in the last 20 minutes. So I, I feel like I know it was a really bad result, but you could see them sort of slightly managing better than what they've managed recently. Yes, perhaps some glimmer of hope for Watford, but not so much for Norwich. They are as good as down, let's face it. Uh, Todd Cantwell sat out on the pitch for quite a while after the final whistle. There's no way he's playing in a championship next season, is there, Mina? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. No, I don't, I don't think so. But I do, I do always get a little bit surprised because I would have thought that he knew that they were going down a long time ago. I don't know, or maybe Norwich really had belief in themselves. But I think they believed. I think they believed after that Leicester game really? just before lock. Yeah, I, I went to that Leicester game just before lockdown when they beat Leicester. And I can't remember whether it was after it or just before it, they'd, they'd beaten Tottenham in the FA Cup. And I know people around around Norwich who, who work at the club and 
No one else believed, but after that Leicester game, they really believed. They had good fixtures. They had good fixtures coming up in this. They had the best fixture list of all of them down there. And I think do they, they thought they could get themselves back in it. Do they not worry about their defence? Well, of course they do. But as well, they, they, were, they were hitting some form before lockdown. I looked at them and thought they would do much better than, than they have done. They've been so flat since, since lockdown. Pookie, Pookie's come back and looked yeah, like he's spent really the last back. three months eating a lot of home-delivered food um, mm. and not looking after himself. Pookie's been poor. Cantwell himself, I mean, it's interesting you bring out back Cantwell. Cantwell's been on the bench a couple of games and he hasn't looked half the play he looked before yeah. lockdown. They, they've... I wonder whether there's a few players in that squad who, after that early defeat uh, when they first came back, was it to Southampton they lost to first, um, just started to think about their futures because there's a lot of players there who will leave. Pookie will probably leave, Cantwell will leave, Max Aarons will leave, Godfrey might leave, uh, the left-back might leave. There's potentially a lot of players who know they'll probably still be playing in the Premier League somewhere it doesn't matter that much if Norwich go down. What about West Ham, JJ? Obviously a huge win in the week for them against Chelsea and a credible tool draw up at Newcastle. Uh, they looking like they're probably going to be safe now. Would you keep David Moyes there next season? Yeah, David Moyes, like, he, uh, he's maybe not the most exciting coach and uh, it didn't work out for Man United, but he's like a really highly respected um, coach. I mean, he was he's one of the people who, who is in charge of like the training sessions for like how you UEFA coach people basically? His job was doing before he went back to West Ham. He knows how to make players better. He knows how to make a team like West Ham. You know, took over Everton. You know, they they need to be solidified, made compact, and input this kind of winning culture that they need to be able to progress. Like he said, they need it's a bit of a rebuild job again, which is what they have there. If they change, if they change them again. Like West Ham are just lost. They've lost a bit of their identity when they moved to that stadium. But by chopping and changing managers with different styles and whatever, they're getting nowhere near close to anything. And building with someone like Moyes is probably the best thing they can do. Uh, the problem he's got at the moment is that players, like, he's got them set up really well, I think, and he's got them playing well, and they're making, they're creating nice chances. But as soon as they score, they kind of switch off, and then they, they concede quite easily, very quickly. Um, they should be okay. They've got good players. They should be doing better than they are. But I think it's just going to need a bit of a, a reset once the season's over and that you can see that they just need a few players that are like Mark Noble, but better at football. <laughs> I, think, I think as well. And, and another good reason why they should definitely stick with Moyes is, is Moyes was very much responsible for the two January signings. Um, he was given control of them and he brought in Suchec and Bowen and both have been excellent. Yeah, They've made a real so impact. Um, and... They're far more the kind of signings that West Ham should be making. Let's just have a quick word on Tottenham and Jose Mourinho. Pretty disastrous defeat for them up at Sheffield United last week. They play Everton on Monday night. Um, but what does the future hold there, Matt? Can you envision uh, Levy supporting Mourinho much in, in the summer transfer window? Is there, is there even any money available? And I suppose... Uh, it's interesting with Mourinho to wonder if, if this keeps going the way it does, if he just completely flames out, as seems increasingly likely, where does he go next? Well, I don't think there'll be... I think the only money Mourinho will have to spend is the money he generates himself through sales. So I think they will do stuff in the transfer market, but it'll only be through money they bring in, so they're not going to be anywhere near competing with who their rivals should be in the transfer market. Um, so I think that's an incredibly hard job um, coming up. I think, look, I don't think this is Mourinho's fault. While I don't think he's made them any better, Tottenham's problems and Tottenham's issues run far, far deeper than Jose Mourinho. Um, the difficulty is, is now whether you go through it with Jose and hope that he's changed to the extent where he will show some patience with it himself and not just, you know, set it all on fire. Uh, like he's done at clubs in the past, or, or whether at some stage you accept that because of the situation Tottenham are in, they're going to have to go for a coach with a, a more proven track record of trying to build and, and be patient with players and, and squads rather than, you know, trying to, to impact it quickly. I, I thought he was an odd, given where they were, I thought he was an odd appointment at the time, but I don't actually blame Mourinho for any of this. And I, I think reacting to their results by 
sort of coating Mourinho or, or, or slanging off Mourinho is completely missing the point with Tottenham. I totally agree with that, but it's almost like a twilight zone to have him in this position right now where he is at a club that really needs a massive rebuild and doesn't have the money to buy the players that he wants. And I just, I'm just trying to figure out what, it's not really what we're used to, the challenge that we're used to Mourinho dealing with. Even at United, I mean, even when they were falling apart, they always had so much money to be able to spend and try to fix it. Whereas what is he going to do now? So the whole situation, I feel like Mourinho will always be wanted. So it's not that there won't be any job offers. Um, the very top job offers for him in the future. I don't know if that's going to dry up, but this is a really strange situation. And I just feel like I don't know whether he really thought, well, enough about it before he agreed to taking it because I think the problems were evident there Pochettino wasn't getting the best out of them I don't know whether they just thought this was a team that needed to be perfected because you know let's bring in Mourinho and he'll get the best out of them but long term this was a side that was falling apart and was always going to end up where it is now we're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another telegraph show we think you might like it's called planet normal and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. JJ, Jamie Vardy scored his 100th and then his 100th and first Premier League Yay. goals for Leicester. Yeah, you'd mean as delighted. Like the impressive thing is that he came out of basically nowhere and was suddenly yeah. an elite level striker. It's one of the things I found really interesting. I did a big chat with, I'm talking about video games again, but the football manager guys and the way they scout players, um, like their extensive database, like they put so much work into making sure everything is, um, you know, it's a simulation. It reflects real life. And but they cannot figure out how they missed the talent in Vardy that suddenly allowed him to become this amazing striker. Like at thirty three, so he's a year younger than me, and a, a lot faster. And I wonder, <laughs> like, I you don't know, drink like, enough Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what it is. But like, for him to be able to be that fit, maybe it's that he didn't play enough um, top level football early on in his career, so he'd be able to do this a bit longer. In the same way, like Michael Owen was mostly pace, but once his hamstrings went ping, he was, you know, he's a different kind of player. But Vardy's not had that, and so he's still able to play in the same way. Uh, the one thing he's got is that a lot of teams just sit deep against Leicester, so there's no space in behind, and that kind of hurts him. But like the goals he scored against Palace, you know, they're kind of penalty box poaches, he's in the right place at the right time, so he's clever off the ball as well. He's, he's just a decent player, and it's good that he's. Um, physically, he's kind of peaked now. At the same time, that a lot of players would be uh, like me- mentally peaked. Do you know what I mean? So, like a striker tends to be peaking at about twenty-eight, but Vardy basically started around then. So um, he now has all the maturity of um, what, that makes older players better when they're physically not as capable. But he is exactly as physically capable as he was when he was twenty-eight. So he might be able to play a little bit longer and get the advantage of that. Like Danny Ings. Yeah. Quite, it's quite cheering, isn't it, that there are different ways to get to the top in football. You don't necessarily have to have been a, a marvellous academy product. Uh, you, you can get up in a different way. I uh, just don't know what happened to the idea of Jamie Vardy, the movie. It doesn't seem to have uh, been mentioned for several It's still years. in the pipeline, apparently. still in the really? pipeline. Yeah. Cannot wait. What about Manchester United? We mentioned them earlier with their big win over Bournemouth at the weekend. Um, how excited should we be about Mason Greenwood, Mina? God, he is so good, isn't he? I mean, I have to say, like, his finishing. I, I, I know that Solskjaer, when he's saying he's probably the best finisher I've ever seen. I was like, I think he's the best finisher I've ever seen as well. And, you know, can I just remind you guys, like, you know, when we when they were not even managing to score their penalties, people were like, should they really have let, let go of Lukaku? But it just goes to show you that when they improved their midfield, which was, the you know, was always the section that they needed help with, look how amazing, like, Rashford is doing now. They, they can bring in Mason Greenwood, who's just oh my god on another level I mean his footballing IQ is something else and um, 
And, you know, you've got Martial. Did you see the Martial goal? I just think if you're capable of this, I want to see this all the time for Martial. I feel like now that they have a midfield that's much stronger than it was before, you're you're seeing the the beauty of the talent that they actually have and the youngsters that they have. Um, and I think that, you know, this is why you don't need to worry about Alexis Sanchez going to Inter or Lukaku having left or whatever it is. This is a team with a lot of talent. It just needs to have sort of the springboard to push on. Push on. And right now, I, I mean, I, for me, if I'm going to look for any play, I, I know they want to bring in Jaden Sancho, but if I've got that kid, I'm building around him, to be honest. Greenwood looks um, looks like the... I mean, he's on that level that Owen and, and Rooney were when they broke through. Yeah. He's, and, you know, there's, there's not many of them. I don't think... While Rashford was breakthrough was really impressive and, and he's an excellent player, I, I thought his breakthrough wasn't quite at the level of, of Rooney and Owen, but Greenwood's Greenwood's just on that level, just incredible. Greenwood, Foden and Haaland are, are um, like yeah, big stars yeah, of this generation yeah. and you can see it in the very first time they played. I remember seeing Greenwood ages ago and you could just tell just from the way he played in like League Cup games and UEFA uh, Cup, uh, Europa League, you should say games he's just there's just something about him and i like how the the talentless Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has so cluelessly brought him into the team slowly keeping that position open for him the whole time to uh it's interesting what Mina says about Sancho whether Greenwood changes their transfer strategy because you you suddenly look at them now and you think is a Sancho is a Grealish exactly what they need i mean it would clearly strengthen their squad but is that what they should be putting their big money into? Or, well, or do you put the big money into a centre-back? You want to spend big on a big, like a, a, a quality talent who has the right mentality that's going to fit the group, just like the, the way they've got Fernandez in. So you just put, you get a good player in and you find a way to play them. You don't necessarily have to do it to, to fit a system. You just get like the best player you can, put them in. If you have Sancho, when Martial gets injured or when Rashford gets injured, suddenly you get like someone like Sancho can come in. But then you have to make sure Sancho's got the right attitude and doesn't mind having to compete for a place rather than just have it like set for him. I always believe that midfields take you far. And I just feel like if I had some gaps in my team in the sense that I do need, an, I think they need another centre back. Um, and I think that Matic they should look for another sort of that midfielder of that ilk for next season. I'd rather just, have um, a week. They've just extended Matic's contact uh, by three years. That is, uh, is breaking Yeah, he's news. great to bring off, but he's, I, don't, I don't think that he should be sort of the guy that's going to be playing all the time. I mean, I, I feel like you should have him in the club because I think he's important, but I would be investing in, in sort of that kind of midfield. I think one of the reasons why Chelsea is so fun to watch is because their midfield is so good. And obviously so is Manchester City's. And I would be investing there. And to be frank, they were a team that couldn't score more than like a, a, a maximum two goals. Now they're a side that just are, you know, shooting from all cylinders. And that isn't because they improved the, the forward line. It's because they improved the midfield. So I don't see why bringing in another attacker when you've got all the talent that you have now. I think just invest in the rest of the team, so making sure that your defense is good enough and it has the support that it needs. And Do you that see you can... it, Mina? Like when you t- when Greenwood's not in the team, you put Daniel James in. Suddenly, it's a different team. They don't have anywhere near. But Daniel the same... James was the guy that was like saving them in the beginning. No, he was scoring a couple of goals. Like like James is all right. He's a good squad player, but he's not going to. It make difference if you lose Fernandez and you put in Jesse Lingard, it strips some of that extra quality they need to be where they are. Like Man United are playing really well just now; it's great. But as soon as they were, I mean, they've got their first choice team, and they've not really had that all season. And now they've got it together, and it's really working, and they're coming into form at exactly the right time. But you see the difference in quality between Dan James and Greenwood is is massive. And so, so you would it, go for Jaden Sancho. Not necessarily Jaden Sancho. I think Sancho's all right. I think he's a good player. He's just doing well just now in Dortmund. But you need to sign like you need to like look at Ferguson. When he's at Man United, he would sign like a big player. So you've got them in the team. So suddenly you have four strikers competing for three places. It moves everyone up a level. Everyone goes up a gear because of competition. And also, there's so many games you have to rotate. So you need these top quality players to come in. Otherwise, you, you can't afford to. To, to drop quality in your team when you're having to to rest someone or someone's injured or someone's suspended. The better, the more the more top quality players you've got, the better team you have. It's really nice to see Solskjaer getting the praise he's deserved. Yep, about time, <laughs> JJ. About time. 
finally, uh, Matt, let's talk a little bit about Arsenal. Surely the most annoying team to support in the world. Four wins <laughs> on the spin now in all competitions. Uh, Saka and Martinelli sign new long-term deals. So there's loads for fans to feel optimistic about. But a few weeks ago, they were an utter joke. I just, if I was an Arsenal fan, I wouldn't know what to feel about them month to month or what to expect. There's so many four storms. Yeah, I, I, I never, ever get carried away by Arsenal because you generally know it's going to end up biting you at, at some point. Um, yeah, they, they've looked good. And I do think, you know, Arteta's, Arteta's doing good work there um, with, you know, quite a limited squad, uh, particularly in defence. I mean... It was highlighted on on Match of the Day, but you know Mustafi's performance the other day was a performance we've not seen him him give in a long time. Um, but you just don't know where it's heading. With it's, it's so hard to have faith that it's actually heading anywhere with Arsenal and that they won't go and chuck in a stupid result or then go on a terrible run or have bad luck. I mean they do have an awful lot of bad luck with with the injuries. So it's been good but I'd temper it I'd definitely temper it I mean they play Leicester next and and that's a big game and will be very interesting to see the progress they've made because Vardy traditionally loves playing against Arsenal um, and would normally be rubbing his hands together at the the prospect of facing their defence so let's just see over the next couple of weeks I mean I thought they were monumentally stupid when their social media team started crowing about the fact they'd won at Bramall Lane and, and Tottenham hadn't because they should know better than anyone that Arsenal tend to have a a, a habit of uh, shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah, I love Jose let, Mourinho's comeback there as well, saying that he didn't think Mikel Arteta had sent that tweet. I would love it if it emerged that Mikel Arteta was sitting over the keyboard. <laughs> like, no, oh, this, this, be so this is how we're going to get him this week. Let's move onto the continent with a song for Europe. Tell me about Lionel Messi, Nina. Uh, some rumours in Spain that he's broken up contract talks and he's fed up and this is it now for him and Barcelona. Is it really all falling apart or is it just another uh, chapter in the maybe he will play somewhere else and actually he'll end up as a one-club man? No, I mean, he's always going to end up in Barcelona. This was something that was um, coming out of Cadenita in Spain. And basically what it is is that... I think there's an element of the fact that he is turning 34. There is a part of him that's like, okay, I do kind of want to see what's going on here. Because the way that Barcelona is being run right now, it's a disaster. Bartomeu is just like the worst president that they've had. And you can tell that, you know, Messi agrees with that. And it's just been a mess the way that Valverde has gone, the way that they've blamed some of the players on 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 the fact that the manager departed, that they couldn't get their first option um, in Xavi. And, you know, the whole thing has been a mess. And so I think that he doesn't want to commit to the side, not when they have, they're have they under this board of directors. There's elections coming up next season. And then he has a clearer view of what's happening then. He wants to know who's coming in. He wants to know who's going to start leading this team, whether Barcelona is going to be Barcelona again or whether it's just going to be Messi dependent again. And I think he just wants to see his options. Like, why is he going to sign with this president who has no idea what he's doing, who's just spending 800 million without any results, you know? Um, And I think that it's just a case of let me just see what happens. Let me take stock of things. Let me wait a year. I'm in no rush and then I can make my decisions. But I would find I still find it highly unlikely he'll leave. Messi does this every year, doesn't he? So does Ronaldo. I'm, I'm amazed, yeah, I'm amazed people fall for this because Messi every single year seems to make out like he might live. But I do think that signs. every single year he goes through this, like in his mind. I do think every year he's like, should I still continue this? You know? He probably I, does, but he never leaves and he's never going to. So no, I don't know why everyone gonna. gets excited about it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Forget, forget that I asked. Uh, what about <laughs> Ronaldo, Nina? Uh, scored his 25th Serie A goal for Juventus. He's the first player to do that in a Serie A season since 1961. Have Juventus fans taken to him? I think that it depends, obviously, on the fan, but like it's very hard not to because, firstly, you see that he's sort of like a human being, and that you know he finally managed his free kick, his first ever in Serie A after forty-three tries, and you sort of feel a little bit sorry for him because you were so happy that he finally managed to score from a free kick. Um, I think what you love most about him, though, is that he's taken the brand up a lot. So this is a team that had 10 million followers on social media, on on Instagram. And as soon as um, 
basically Ronaldo's come along they're now on to 40 million they're the biggest Italian brand they've overtaken Gucci when it comes to Instagram and for them that's huge they're they're because of him now the league as a whole can now attract players like Matthias Delirte like Ashraf Hakimi um, you know Lukaku all those players that have come and want to now play in Italy I think that he's not just beloved by the by Juve fans I think on a sporting level there are question marks because as good as he is and he is so somebody to depend on on a psychological level as well as obviously like you know the goals that he brings but there is an element of Juventus lost their teamwork when he came which I think is normal when you have such a star um you tend to depend on him a lot more and I think on that you know Juve were the kind of team that reached finals and you can never really pick out why you or the player that was the reason for it now you would always obviously always point to him um so I think that that's what they've lost a little but on the whole you know he's just raised their name you, you know Juve and Italy have become more of a destination to go to now and He's just somebody that even when the chips are down, you look at him and he'll score something and he'll, he'll win a penalty. And that's what you need, right? Quite. Uh, but really, the story of the season again in Syria is Atalanta, oh, surely. God. They've beaten Lazio and Napoli since the restart. It's crazy. I think the story is a fairy tale in many ways because people were like, how, you know, they are a team that's like a momentum team, you know, a little bit like, you know, they build themselves up and then they just become this crazy team that's just starts scoring. They've outscored all the major teams in Europe and they've played less games. They've outscored Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, um, Manchester City. They just decide that I think 83 goals in 30 in 30 games, it's something ridiculous. What's more important is is in the coronavirus, Bergamo, which is where they are, was the epicenter. And it was the page that you saw and it was the pictures that you saw of like um, military trucks, like carrying dead bodies out of the city because the, the you know, where they, the I don't know how you say that word, where they burn the bodies, crematory yeah was overflowing and they just didn't have space and it was just a horrible image of Bergamo and what it was going through during coronavirus so I think that they feel also like they're duty bound to try to restore some sort of like happiness to a city that was so badly affected by this pandemic and they're just they've come out of this whole thing and they are so determined to win they are so determined to entertain they were already fantastic before this lockdown you know they they'd already thrashed Valencia in the Champions League and were pushing ahead but I think now there's something more I think there's a determination to prove that this isn't just a fluke that they're here to stay and people were like Roma and Milan and Napoli were hoping to get into fourth place because Atlanta will drop off but I mean they've opened such huge gaps and they're scoring so many goals and they're actually even managing to defend well at times so certainly certainly the team of the moment. Let's finish up by asking this question, which is about the biggest thing happening in football on Monday night. Yes, it is the conclusion of the League One playoff semi-finals. The question I'm going to put to you is, what is the greatest playoff game ever? And I reckon someone on social media will share an answer with one of you. What have you got, Matt Law? Sunderland-Charlton. Yeah, I think that's what we all have. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> I thought that was the sort of undisputed winner of the playoffs, that, that game. Okay, here's an interesting test about that game. Who, who's the first player that comes to mind? Clive Mendonca. Mendonca, yeah. Interesting. I, th- I think of it as the Sasa Illich game, not the Clive Mendonca game. Really? That says a lot about you. The other one is um, <laughs> Man City Gillingham. Was it that one? Oh, Nicky yeah. Weaver penalty shootout one? Yeah, Liam Gallagher leaving at half time. Today, I can't. That didn't really show. But yeah, they're the two I remember just watching and being completely engrossed by. All playoffs are good though, aren't they? All the, the playoffs are always good. Playoffs are, are good there, when the defending is bad. Huddersfield versus Red, was it Huddersfield Reading that final that was an awful final? That's probably the only bad playoff final I can think of. <laughs> I think there's a bit of bit of confirmation bias at work there. What have you got, JJ? Um, Hamilton overturned a two 0 deficit to relegate Hibs and get promoted from the Championship. Which it wasn't an amazing game. It was just really funny. So that's <laughs> kind of why. In England, I don't. I don't really. Uh, I've not really watched many of the playoffs in England. It's not been a. You don't watch thing. the playoffs. I don't. I'm just. I'm not English. I don't care about the lower leagues as much as people in England as much as you don't yeah, care about true. the Scottish leagues. I do. Um, but the playoffs I mean, are amazing. Remember, as a as a yeah, football lover, I just think you'd love the playoffs. I don't think the football's very good in the lower leagues in England. Um, I think uh, I remember Bobby Zamora's goal though when QPR. Oh. Started. There you go, That's JJ. what I remember. Yeah. That's not just oh, a point of happy now. I remember that being pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. If you if you gave me the choice life. to watch 
If you gave me the choice of you can either watch the playoffs or you can or watch you the Champions, Champions League, League final. Oh, come on. You can watch the Champions League from the quarterfinal onwards. I'd watch the playoffs. Wow. But you are a man who has supported a club who's been in the lower leagues for a long time. So that could be... A long time, really? <laughs> that, that relegation was like the first re- no, but relegation maybe you just, of the you may, entire maybe you like, history. You like I just like... Play I, like I, just, I just really enjoy them. I really, yeah. really enjoy them. I'd yeah. watch any playoff game. I'm You'd watch you. that over, you know, Ramos and, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I can't be asked with from here, yeah. I, I cannot be asked with that. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I watch that and enjoy it. But if you're giving me the choice, I'd watch, yeah, a playoff final between QPR and Middlesbrough over Real Madrid and Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Mina? Are you in the tank for Charlton Sunderland as well? Well, that's the one that I looked up. I was trying to, obviously, like, sorry, I, I did, like, you know, prepare for this and started watching these highlights. And I was like, it's got to be this one just for the bad defending. Although I have to say that the first touches and second touches in that match, oof. But I don't know. It's the only really one that I looked at properly. So I have to go for that. It's a good one. That was the opinion shared by Anthony on social media. Craig nominated a very good one as well. Watford Leicester with that dramatic finish uh, not so long ago. Uh, and Maxi says, if you don't say Ipswich versus Bolton, second leg, 1999-2000, you shouldn't be talking about football. Big word, Maxi. But well done, JJ. Bobby Zamora, all the way. <laughs> That's a lot for Audio Football Club this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you would like to before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Send us an email too if you like. We all enjoy email. Who doesn't? Not me. I love it. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. Just type or tap those words wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.